Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Catherine Wittig is back. Hello, Catherine. Hello, David. Yeah, how's your week been? Uh, long long but good very good mm. yeah yeah we, we thought we'd better get Catherine back on because Paris has happened in all the time that Matt's been uh infiltrating press conferences and talking to teams about goodness knows what over the last week at the Billie Jean King Cup final so Matt's got the day off in fact he's gone to a to a family event which leaves Catherine and me to do it old school mm. before I'm an- Matt Roberts. I'm anxious about this yeah I've had to write my own agenda <laughs> Um, we've got no mat available to us if we have a fallout or if, or if we, or, or if we need to ask a question to which he can't reasonably expect it to be know, to be knowing the answer to. Um, mm. and we, could, we're going to have no could, stats. What could go wrong? <laughs> we did this for about six years. I don't know how. Yeah. Six years. And, um, Yeah. It's it's nice occasionally to have another go and then Matt quickly come back. Um, no, it's it's delightful to see you and uh, yeah, you've you've had some week to to report on uh, with Paris. So let's let's start and talk about that, shall we? Because um, Novak Djokovic has won his sixth Paris Masters title, his seventh year that he's ended as the world number one. Um, what what was your take on on his? route through the week i feel like we saw a lot of different sides to him over the over the course of the week with with all the sort of pressure that was on him and then the pressure being released and then the different level that he kind of came up with in in the final once that was released is that how you saw it yeah absolutely it, the contrast between the novak djokovic that we saw in the semi-finals against hubert Hercatch, which of course was the match that took him over the line to secure his seventh year and number one, and the Djokovic that we saw in the final was just immense. It was it was the two opposite ends of the Djokovic spectrum, um, and for clearly for very very obvious reasons. Look, he, he wanted the title definitely. He he was. I wondered yesterday in the final against Medvedev whether it would be one of those matches that we've occasionally seen. And we've seen them at various points, but I always I think of a couple of ATP finals performances from him where you've always been good at describing it, where he's just not prepared to go to those dark places to win. He's not tanking, he's trying, he, he wants to win, but he's not prepared to drag himself to those Djokovic-defining places. I wondered if if yesterday, if the final might be one of those performances, but actually... Medvedev played so well that he was required to to drag himself to to some pretty extreme places, and he was prepared to go there. Um, but he just went there without without the stress that we saw on Saturday in the match against Hubert Hercatch, which was tough to watch. Actually, it was so stressful. I mean, Hercatch was stressed as well. Um, he had just secured his qualification spot for the ATP finals the day before. So I wondered if we were going to see a completely liberated Hubert Hercatch. And we we did for a little while. Um, they split sets and then 
it all comes down to a deciding set tie break and it's just a stress off between the two of them. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, her catch's forehand can... can in, in fact, the, in terms of tennis, stress manifests itself for both of them in the forehand. The forehand suddenly starts looking stiff and it starts dropping short and it was, oh, it was really edgy and Djokovic was... You know, uh, telling telling the cameraman he was getting too close and getting irritated with you know the distribution of balls and all of that stuff. All all of the telltale signs of intense stress. You could see it in his breathing. It was shallow and laboured. It was it was oozing out of him the stress and how badly he wanted to secure that year end number one. Um, and there was an enormous visceral reaction from him when he won that match and hauled himself over the line. He he almost, well, could have done himself a mischief with the chest beating. It was so hard and aggressive. Um, it all came out. You could see the stress lift with that achievement. So the fact that he came out uh, less than 24 hours later and took himself to the places that he needed to go to beat Daniil Medvedev is is incredible really mm. and i think because it was medvedev his determination was heightened wasn't it because he's the man who got in the way last time at the us open i mean they clearly get along and they clearly have an enormous amount of mutual respect but they are proper rivals now these two that they've got a very close rivalry in terms of matches won and lost and something one of our Twitter followers said to to us in in response to to his achievement was that it's a classic sort of big three move to 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 win the next match after a massive setback and massive loss like Djokovic had had against Medvedev that they just won't let anybody else get one up on them in the long run they'll 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 sock it to them the next time and Medvedev absolutely knew that in his press conference before the final he was asked about you know will you beat him in straight sets in, in one of the biggest matches of his life in, in their last meeting. That must give you so much confidence going into this one. And he said, uh-uh, that is not the way it works with Novak Djokovic. He said, actually, this is a nightmare. I've made him angry and it makes him a lot more dangerous in this next meeting. He knew exactly how that psychology worked and um, he was expecting Medvedev, the Djokovic that we saw on Sunday and you're right there is so much respect um between them um and I think I think Djokovic recognizes that that Medvedev could kind of keep him young that this rivalry could could keep him young in the game and keep him motivated you know he is going to he is going to almost certainly watch his greatest rivals retire yeah and you know the, the famous one is always John McEnroe, isn't it, talking about how hard it hit him when Bjorn Borg retired. Now, obviously, that was – Borg retired young, didn't he? It was a surprise. There was probably a shock element there. But, you know, athletes losing their greatest rivals is it, – it's, it's demotivating for them, I think. He's – I think Djokovic, on one very important level, is extremely pleased and relieved – that Medvedev is there and that he's as good as he is and is as genuine a toe-to-toe rival as he mm. is. Because otherwise, I think Djokovic, once once he gets 21, which I think most people think is likely, could lose motivation. I think, I think yeah, I think Medvedev could, could keep him young and Djokovic recognises that. I think he's also enjoying exploring other reaches of his own game in order to get the better of Medvedev because Medvedev is so similar to himself in approach. I, I'm i a wall. You're not getting past me. I'm going to keep peppering your baseline. I've, I've got an answer to every aggressive stroke. And if you looked at the, the rallies won, those that were longer, Medvedev was winning. Djokovic was winning the shorter ones and in fact he was serving a volleying yesterday and he was throwing in slices and different spins and angles and he 
I never really thought I'd see the day, although he's been gradually transitioning his own game anyway in this direction, adding more to it. I never really thought I'd see the day where Djokovic is messing an opponent around in order to win uh, because that's always what everybody's needed to try to find a way to do against him in order to make Mm -hmm. him malfunction. He's become such a more interesting player in the last probably 12 months, I Mm. think, because of, of that. Yeah, it was a really tactical performance from Medvedev, uh, from Djokovic, Djokovic rather. Um, yeah, had that just been a straight up baseline battle and they'd both just played their A games, I think Medvedev would have won. I do. Um, Medvedev, uh, Djokovic had to do something quite different and it was very easy, uh, very interesting seeing him figure that out and deploy his learnings from the US Open final, but also try and adapt them to an incredibly slow court surface, really different to to the US Open. It was it's fascinating actually. It was a really high quality final. Medvedev looked devastated to lose, which I which I loved. He really looked sort of haggard. Um, sat there in the chair. I really, I th- really think he felt very keenly. This is my title. You know, he was defending that title. Um, and he understands the significance of the rivalry as well. You know, had he won that match, he'd have leveled their head to head at five wins apiece, and and that would have felt big. I think you know Djokovic is one of the scores in his column of greatness, and there are so many. Is his head to head records against his greatest greatest rivals? Now, I I attach a little bit less weight to that than some people do because because. It's not quite a it's not quite a fair playing field in terms of you know I don't know how to explain this you're not you're not everyone's not playing at their peak aren't they you know you could he would he would have a he would have a hundred percent record against Rod Laver if he if he played him now yeah. but that doesn't, a lot older obviously yeah exactly um, but anyway um, I do think in both of their minds it would have been significant had that head to head been been leveled. Um, yeah, it was it was a fascinating final. It really was. And Djokovic looked so happy to win. It was it was a it was a winning reaction that we don't often see from Novak Djokovic. It felt very pure. There wasn't stress relief in it. That had happened the day before. This one he was able to just enjoy. I think a big part of that was it was the first time both his children had watched him win. Uh, his his wife is there with uh, his son Stefan and his daughter Tara. I guess Tara has just reached an age where she can sit through a whole tennis match. I was very impressed that she was able to do that um, with sort of dancing interludes at various points in, in proceedings. Um, but yeah, it felt like one that he was just able to enjoy in the moment. And that was... That was nice to see, and a massive contrast from the previous day. Mm. Yeah, um, there, there was a a great graphic put up by your coverage on Amazon Prime Video, which I think summed up where we are now with him, Djokovic, in terms of his achievements. I mean, I'll just read out a couple of these things here. That's thirty-seven ATP Masters one thousand titles, so thirty-seven Paris type victories. That's first. Nobody ever ever done that. That's more than Sampras and Agassi have won combined. Just think about that for a minute. Um, Grand Slam titles twenty, so he's tied with Federer and Nadal. Year in number one seven. That's first. He's overtaken Pete Sampras. He's left Nadal and Federer in his wake um, previously. Three hundred and forty five weeks now at world number one. He's first in that. Um, five ATP Finals titles, and he'll be in Turin trying to make that six uh, next week, and that would take him first in that, uh, or joint first, I think, because he's uh, he's tied second at the moment with Lendl and Sampras. Um, and then he's won 86 titles on the circuit in total, so that's the fifth in the open era. So you would expect him to add quite a few more to that yet. Um, but this, this does actually, I don't know, I feel that this is quite significant. I still feel to me that, the argument ender will be when he wins 21 if and if the others don't, if Nadal and Federer were unable to, to add to their total. I think that that is the, the ultimate argument ender in terms of just sort of 
being the best of them all in terms of achievements. Um, but I do think seven years at world number one at the end of the year, particularly given that he's he's done a lot of that when they've been around, is I always used to put more um, importance on what Sampras had done, winning it, doing it six years in a row, which I felt was astounding. But increasingly, I, I think you you have both made the point that to do it over a longer period of time and have to kind of withstand not doing it and then coming back and retaking that position is is quite quite staggering, really. Perseverance, physicality, endurance, and just, you know, even having the, his own crisis of five years ago when he just seemed to, you know, burn out and lose motivation. Um, so that's that's big. Yeah. It's really, really big. Yeah, and I've got – I'm going to sneak a Matt stat into this episode – despite oh, Matt not being present. The, the, I can feel the ghost of Matt in the room. Get it right. Um, it's Well, it's from Twitter, so I'm reading his words exactly. But just one more sort of Djokovic stat to throw at you as a, as a testament to his greatness, as if as if it were needed. Um, he, Matt says, would it be fair to say that Djokovic has won the very next tournament he's played after the two toughest losses of his career? Roland Garros, 2015. He goes on to win Wimbledon 2015 without playing a tournament in between. US Open 2021, he goes on to win Paris 2021. He says there are probably other contenders, but just these two examples tell you a lot about him. Mm. Yeah, no, I think so. Uh, and I think I, I, I quite like the fact that he was that he's honest enough to to admit that the the pressure was to was a telling factor in that US Open final. Ultimately, even he buckled. I mean, he played a brilliant opponent on that night, but all that cumulative pressure kind of did for him, really. Um, and that he's, and we've seen in very stark terms in those two successive days in Paris the, the difference between a liberated, relaxed, unburdened Djokovic and the the man who got the way to the world on his shoulders the day before when he was trying to achieve something that you know was up in the air still. Um, just it's just. I just love that about sport and I love that about this sport, what it does to people between the ears. And uh, yeah, a huge, huge achievement. Um, just a few other things from from Paris. What what was your take on the Paris crowd over the course of the week? Because the, the starkness of the difference between last year's closed doors Paris and, I mean, this felt like it was a defiant we're back reaction from that crowd they were so into it they were so loving it and they had Hugo Gaston going all the way to the the semis and they were just getting behind him but the match that he played against Carlos Alcaraz when Alcaraz was leading the second set five love and I I, I got that match on mute because Matt and I were recording a podcast at the time and I watched the scores ticking over and him coming back to five all and then I turned it on after we'd finished recording at six five and they were singing La Marseillaise and it was just electric and and it was really moving i found listening to them sing and i thought this is going to stay with me subsequently heard from people who'd watched the whole set that alcaraz they felt had been baited and was being intimidated by by the crowd and i just wondered what what your thoughts were did was that over the line well look in general i i I think the crowds this week were unreal unreal the best tennis crowds i i've seen and heard since since crowds returned and and probably for for a long time before the pandemic as well it was you're right there was a defiance both a defiance and a joy to it and of course Hugo Gaston's um significance throughout the course of the week amplified amplified all of that and the fact that it was an indoor tournament quite literally amplified all of that and the fact that Paris last year was one of the toughest watches without a crowd it was it was bleak without a crowd even Guy Forget the tournament director acknowledged that this year that last year was blooming tough I can't even remember it no it was yeah I guess I didn't want to (laughs) yeah um so the crowds were extraordinary. I, I had frequent goosebumps. And it, I, I don't think there's anything better than a French crowd spontaneously singing Le Marseillaise. So I'm going to find it difficult 
to criticise the the crowd during that match against Carlos Alcaraz. I think it's I think it's borderline. Um, I think I think that that will that will hurt Alcaraz for a long time. He did look in a daze really as he left the court, but he also did collapse mentally. Um, so I, 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 he's never had any um, Davis Cup experience, for example. Has he? That no, might have prepared him for for something like that um, to be to to go from playing sort of the start of your professional career with no crowds to within the space of the year because his trajectory has been so upward to, <laughs> to then end up in a situation like that where you're the heavy favourite to win um, and you're in a winning position and and it all it all collapses around you. Um, I I don't think the crowd cross the line but I'm a little bit biased because because La Marseille is mm-hmm. um and I do think I, I do think Alcaraz will be okay in the end and it will it will make him a better player but that doesn't mean that I didn't desperately feel for him in the moment Hugo Gaston though Catherine I mean he, he is all you could ask for in a, a sort of talismanic playing in your home country kind of player the look of him, I mean, he's tiny and he's just able to... He's a foot shorter than you, David. <laughs> <laughs> and he just he's able to just discombobulate opponents who are strapping big people and he can knock them off the court and he can angle them and he can drop shot them. And it's just, he's everything. And I know this is a, a maybe a, a, a harsh stereotype, but it is everything that a French crowd would love, is, isn't it? Oh, if, if, if French tennis had a little factory to, to produce their, their ideal tennis player, one that doesn't conform in a very, in a very French, we're going to do things our own way kind of way, um, who does things, you know, their own sweet way. Um, I don't need to be six foot two. I don't need to have big weapons because I've got the best drop shot in tennis. Um, yeah, you would probably you'd probably end up with Hugo Gaston. He's uh, yeah. I don't I don't know if he can play tennis outside of France. I really mm. don't know. The only I two d- times I- I've ever really watched him play tennis were at the French Open when he reached the fourth round and in Paris this week. So maybe he's yeah. a Parisian specialist. Well, I'm, I'm the same. Uh, I mean, he has had results that have sort of gradually built his ranking recently, but there have been lower rung events and, and certainly nothing that we've really had on our mainstream TV screens. And I really hope there is more to come from him. I hope he's able to introduce himself to other audiences because crowds, I think no matter where he goes, if he's able to deliver and, and compete and take these guys on, people are going to love this mm-hmm. guy, aren't they? I mean, you can imagine the Wimbledon crowd and the Australian Open crowd. And he's probably it. already being signed up for the Champions Tour, isn't he? Signing a contract <laughs> for, for 15 years from now. Would you like yeah, to be the new Mansour Barami? Yes, you would. Okay, great. Uh, and uh, in the absence of that, just because of his age, uh, he's in the next gen finals this week. Which... Well, he, he's younger than I thought he yeah. was. Yeah, only twenty one. Mm. I didn't. I didn't realise that either. Um, so that means we have our Turin ATP finals field set. The singles qualifiers for the event that starts on Sunday are Djokovic, Medvedev, Zverev who was dismantled by Medvedev 6-2-6-2, sits a pass, although there are question marks over his fitness. Was it a knee problem he had? Mm. I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah. He, re- he um, retired, yeah. Yeah, and then there's Rublev, Berrettini, Herkac and Kasparud. So that means that uh, Yannick Sinner and uh, Cameron Norrie have just missed out. Uh, Sinner is playing in the next-gen finals as well this week. Um, no, he's not. Oh, he's pulled out, has he? Yes, I believe he's pulled up because he'll be first alternate of course, for the ATP that's right. finals and there is a there is a question mark over Stefanos Tsitsipas. Yeah. Um so yeah. Mm. And I know Norrie's going as an alternate as well. So um you know, you never know whether he might be required at some point. But um yeah, it's a, it's a field that that is interesting. I mean, I think I I I don't think all of it is going to produce humdinger tennis matches, but there's a quite a, quite a few players that I think are quite similar, um, but still, 
you know, it's going to be intriguing, some of the storylines in there, and it all starts next Sunday. Catherine will be presenting it on Prime Video, and we'll be bringing tennis podcasts to you probably every other day, I think, uh, after uh, each group stage set of matches have, have been complete and then up to the final weekend. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. The doubles is a bit interesting at the moment, and the uh, the title in Paris was won by Michael Venus and Tim Putz, who defeated uh, Pierre Hugabert and Nicolas Mahou, uh, 6-3-6-7-11-9, I think, in the, mm. uh, the final set uh, tie-break. Now, just explain to me the little storyline going on with the, the Turin doubles qualifiers. These are the teams that are, are lined up for it, as I, as I understand it. Although, the, having looked at some of these fields, I'm never actually sure whether any teams have pulled out the way the way they're all listed. But anyway, the top eight teams are Mektic and Pavic, Ram and Salisbury, Mahu and Heber, Granoyes and Zabias, Farah and Cabal, uh, Dodig and Polasek, Suarez and Murray, Takao Kravietz, and then in ninth place, Polisek and Piers. And you may be thinking, well, I've just heard the name Polisek. So what's going on here? He's, he's in, he could be in twice. Yeah, Philip Polisek is just the king right now. He's, he, so he won the Australian Open at the start of the year with Ivan Dodig, very successful partnership at the time. But then they went on a real losing streak and... I guess they decided there was no way to pull it back and they split midway through the season. And Philip Polishek then started playing with John Piers, who had previously been playing with Michael Venus, titleist yesterday in Paris with new partner Tim Tim Puetz. Um And they've been very successful together, have uh, Philip Polishek and John Piers in this second half of the year. So successful, in fact that um, their results in half a year alone have been enough to elevate them to ninth place in the race. Um, now, had Polishek and Piers won the title in Paris, they reached the semi-finals before, before losing to Herbert Mayu. Had they won the title, they would have been springboarded, sprung board, hmm, um, into the top eight and Philip Polishek would have qualified twice for the ATP finals and had the opportunity to choose which partner he would like to take to the dance. And I don't know Philip Polishek. The only thing I know about him is he's the kind of guy that has openly said, I would like to take John Pierce, please. Uh, which now leaves him in a slightly awkward situation of not having qualified for John Pierce, but 
being qualified with the bloke that he's openly said he would have preferred not to take to the dance, <laughs> uh, which is Ivan Dodig. <laughs> um, Philip Polishek can still say, I'd like to go as an alternate with John Pierce, um, which rather than play with Ivan Dodig, which would be a tremendous blow to the ego for Dodig, surely. I'd rather sit on the sidelines and have a holiday in Turin. Uh, with John Piers than actually play professional tennis alongside you, Ivan. Um, but I, I, I don't know if he's going to take that option. I, I've not. I, I would be surprised if he took that option. But Philip Polishek seems a surprising guy. So who knows? Um, it's. I think it's a pretty silly situation, really. I think. I think that you should have to sign up a pairing at the start of the year that you have to stick with for the year and less injury interview you, you know you could have a caveat in the rules for for an injury or illness situation but i don't think this does doubles at any favor as amusing as it is i don't think this does doubles at any favors a situation mm. like this um you know you could maybe have a if you wanted to if if, if there was pushback against that from the players which i suspect there would be then maybe create a selling point out of the out of the constant carousel and create a transfer window of sorts. Um, yeah, the current situation is just it's as silly as the fact that Tim Poets and Michael Venus won. Looking, you know, they, their kits could not have been more different. They looked a mess. They looked mm. an absolute. It really did. It looked a mess. You're a team. Name name me another sport or event or anything where a team wear completely disparate outfits. Yeah, it's a, doesn't it's happen. Unfortunate. It's a shame, isn't it? And and very good at it, tennis, it, though. It's been brought well into stark attention when you see them lined up against Mo and Herbert, who are just oh. so perfectly matched. You know, they've got exactly the same outfits, and they're very stylish outfits, and they. I don't know. It, it it's just a no brainer, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's just an obvious little fix for yep. the for the sport, really, uh, for the code of doubles. And somehow doubt that Polishek and Dodig will be wearing matching outfits. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we shall watch this with interest, and we'll bring you the latest and let you know <laughs> in a few days' time. Once we know who's he going to take, and uh, for what purpose. Um, so look forward to all that. Um, as anybody who has been listening to our podcast over the last week will know, the Billie Jean King Cup finals have been going on. Matt has been there reporting on a nightly basis alongside me. Catherine Renan was with us at the start of the tournament to preview it, but has unable to been unable to have her, her take on it all uh, because of covering Paris. So now's our chance. Um, and if you needed just a, a brief reminder of what went on over the final day, uh, Russia beat Switzerland, but not before a, a last-minute selection change, which was put down to an injury to Anastasia Pavlichenko, drafting in the fourth player on their team uh, by ranking, Ludmila Samsonova. And uh, the Swiss team were very, very unhappy at this turn of events and um, took no time at all to to complain about it in an eight minute press conference which we played in our previous podcast which I do encourage you to listen to it so it's one of the most interesting press conferences I've, I've heard in the sport in all the years I've been working in it and it was basically Matt just asking a few very measured very factual straightforward questions and um, and the Swiss team letting rip frankly uh, how disappointed they were with what had gone on uh, Belinda Bencic called it ugly behaviour um, Heinz Guntart basically said, you know, it's either unfortunate or it's cheating, um, what, what they decided to do. Uh, we, we have contacted the, the ITF and been told it was within the rules. And um, there's no dispute in that they played incredibly well, the uh, the Russian team. And uh, both Daria Kasatkina and Ludmila Samsonova won their matches and, the, and played incredibly well and played very well all week long, did the whole team. But... Um, it certainly left a sour taste, I think, for 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 the, for the Swiss team and and for many that are looking in from the outside. Um, what say you, Catherine? My mouth tastes very sour. Um, mm. I, I think 
I mean, it, yeah, it's clear it was within the rules. That's that's a that's an oversight in the rules. I I think that I would expect to be changed, as Matt brilliantly explained in the podcast. That's obviously a hangover from from the previous format that has left this little loophole. So it's within the rules, therefore it's not officially cheating. But for me, that's semantics. That's just the, lab- the label that you put on it. They didn't officially cheat. Now, I'm not questioning Pavlyuchenkova's knee injury. It, I, I'm talking about the timing here. And we will never categorically know or be able to prove, it seems, that that the timing was, was engineered with that rule in mind. It is possible that it wasn't. However, that seems like the significantly less likely scenario to me. So everything I say here is obviously caveated with with that that assumption um but i yeah i think it was wrong i think it was wrong and dastardly and assuming that's what happened a clearly deceitful manipulation of the rules for unfair gain and it makes me feel really sad and sour um, I, I completely sympathise with, with the Swiss team. I know there will be, be people out there that say it's the, within the rules that you can't be expected as sports people to not take advantage of every possible outlet available to you to win within the rules, and you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be judged harshly so long as you are obeying those rules. For, for me, I think it's fine to take a moral judgment on things rules or no rules and i think morally that's not it, it's not right it's not right and um yeah i think it's a really sad way to end something um but then maybe that's why i'm not an elite athlete because, because i wouldn't be prepared to do absolutely anything to win maybe that's not why i'm not an archery gold medalist um and maybe that's a, a sporting mindset that i'll I'll never understand. You know, I, I do accept that. I, 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 it's clear that there was there was no rule broken, mm. and for some some and that will sit differently for some people than to others. But for me, that's that's semantics, really, and it was wrong. Okay, um, yeah, it was uh, it was a hell of a week and uh, quite a way to end it. Um, and I, I mean, what did, what did you think listening to the actual show and the the press conferences themselves? Because I mean, Russia did defend themselves, but I, I didn't feel like I was. It, it took such a long time. It, it, we didn't even include the audio of them trying to get to the point where they said when they'd submitted the uh, the the requirement for a change. But I mean, in terms of just a just an experience of listening to those press conferences. <laughs> it was quite something. Oh, yeah, kind of heart-pounding. It was really, um, really exhilarating stuff, obviously brilliantly conducted, conducted by Matt and edited and covered and brilliantly explained by Matt as well, quite a complicated mm-hmm. situation. You, you, yeah. you both absolutely triumphed. Um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 Russians, the Russians said in the press conference, didn't they, that it was when... When Pavlyuchenkova practiced that morning, that the that it became clear that she wasn't able to play. Well, as as Matt explained, you know, he checked what time they were down to practice, and that was not within the hour before the match. Um, so unless something highly unusual happened, they kind of have stitched themselves up with that admission, I think. And it would be highly unusual for a practice to be in the hour immediately bef- before a match or a tie. So. Yeah, goodness me, drama though. <laughs> <laughs> drama. It was, it was oh yeah. So I loved the exhilaration in Matt's voice. It's the drama, Mick. I just love it. That was <laughs> Matt. Was that gif in 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 uh, real life? Amazing. Uh, so anyway, the uh, the tour moves on to this week, and this week is quite hard to follow in terms of what's going on because there's an awful lot. Let me just run you through very quickly where we stand for this week on the tennis circuit because 
Lintz begins today. That's a, a WTA 250 event that Emma Raducanu is the top seed in. Stockholm on the ATP Tour begins today. Andy Murray's in that, and it's a very, very strong field. The next-gen finals starts, I think, today or tomorrow. Tomorrow. Uh, in, in Milan, okay. And and that's got a field of Carlos Alcaraz, Seb Corder, Lorenzo Massetti, Brandon Nakashima, uh, Juan Manuel Serundolo, uh, Sebastian Baez. Is that right? Yeah, I've got nothing on him. I think he's qualified. Okay. Uh, I uh, I think he's one that's been on the challenger circuit and is qualified yes. by virtue of that. I don't. I think it's okay for us to not, not know anything about him. Is what I I'm just saying. want to be able to pronounce it right because I'm sure well, if Matt when was Matt here, returns, between the we'll, two of we'll you, get it all straight. He's an Argentine, so I'm going with Baez. I don't know. No, uh, Holger, no, no. Oh. South American Spanish, they don't do the th. Oh, great. There was me thinking I got I some think. massive triumph. Right. I okay. don't know if that holds across the board for even Zeds at the end of a name. Okay. Anyway, we will, right. we, will, we will clarify. Let's interrupt Matt's family event and find <laughs> <laughs> uh, Holger Vitus Nodskov Rune, um, and uh, also known as Holger Rune, uh, and Hugo Gaston. Those are your players in the next-gen finals in Milan that starts tomorrow. And, I mean, so that's enough already as it is, really, isn't it? Two two tour events plus a next-gen finals. And then the WTA finals this year starts this week, but on a Wednesday. So um, it's all happening. And then so that will get halfway through. And then the ATP finals will start next sunday mm. so we've got we've got a lot going on this week i'm telling you um and we're going to be bringing you some podcasts in order to to cover and keep across it all let's just go through these events first of all though radicano is an interesting one isn't she this is her final event of the year um she is the top seed got to buy in the first round faces either Wang Zinyu or Katarina Kozlova in the in her first match in round two. And she did a press conference yesterday and talked about her coaching situation, said that she does have somebody in mind. It looks like it's pretty far advanced and that she's expecting, well, that she's going to have somebody in her corner for the Australian Open, but not this week. She said, I'm going to, I'm basically on my own in terms of a coach. I think she's got... Um, the the physio with her, the fitness trainer. Um, But she actually said, I think it's really good for me to be able to be here on my own for this this little period. Quite interesting that she didn't reveal the name when she was asked, who who is this coach? She she wasn't prepared to to reveal who it was yet. Um, But but she's got somebody. But it's not going to be, appears, Esteban Cariel, who was on trial with her over the last couple of weeks from what we understand. But yesterday we received a note that Esteban Carriel, who previously you may remember worked with Johanna Conta in her breakthrough years and has recently also been with Katie Swan, the British player, he's now been announced on a trial with Andy Murray. Which is quite, be, quite amusing, isn't it? Yes, with a view to being a permanent part of his team next year, we are told. I've uh, got a lot of time for him. I don't know him personally, but just the manner in which he conducts himself mm. and seen him do the on-court coaching with Joe Conta back in the day, I always liked the way he came across and people speak very well of him. But, I mean, the, the coaching carousel never ceases to just in, entertain. And, uh, I mean, it's it's fascinating, isn't it? But this year it's it seems to be taking up even another stage and even earlier. Yeah, season hasn't even finished yet. <laughs> I mean, I, I love in in my mind the scenario that played out was Esteban Carril was trialing Andy Murray and Emirati Kanu at the same time, and you know, like the Bachelor um, got to, <laughs> got to choose, got to choose at the end. I mean, obviously that's not what happened, um, but I, I like the idea that it is. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm desperate to know who this coach that Emirati Kanu has got lined up. I. I completely understand and respect her not saying because every, you know, she lifts a fingertip tip at the moment and it's, it's carnage. So she wants to obviously to have managed that announcement and the impact that that announcement will have on that coach. Cause suddenly there'll be a frenzy around that coach, won't they? They're going to be mm. getting calls and fielding calls and all the rest of it. So I, un- I understand her not sort of just casually saying, Oh, it's this person. And then that person's, life completely changing 
Um, but I am desperate to know who it is and also really hoping it's she she mentioned the Australian Open I hope I really hope they'll be with her for the off season before that as well I can't yeah. I, I don't see why they wouldn't be it's just that she didn't explicitly mention that yesterday but that's that's certainly what I hope yeah mm. um Stockholm I mentioned is a is a strong draw and Andy Murray has got Victor Dorosovic of Norway a qualifier. Hang on David <laughs> you can't say oh it's a really strong draw and then list somebody who clearly neither of us have ever heard of <laughs> okay the the really strong draw in stockholm is uh led by yannick sinner who is a potential round two opponent of andy murray after victor dorosovic of norway a qualifier um and also in the draw is felix Aliassim, uh denis shapovalov dan evans taylor fritz alexander bublik francis tiafo uh, and by the way leo borg was a wild card in the first round, beaten by Tommy Paul, 6-4-6-2, with Bjorn Borg in the crowd watching. It's uh, it's interesting that they still have a really good draw in Stockholm because a lot of a lot of people signed up, you know, your Hercatches, your Norries, they all signed up um, in anticipation of the race to Turin still being live this week. And mm. that would have been... Uh, that would have been brilliant for Stockholm, obviously, if they were the event yeah. at which that was decided. Um, so I'm pleased for them as an event that they've still maintained a good field um, in spite of the fact that that was all decided uh, in Paris last week. Mm. Yes. So um, we'll watch that with interest. The uh, The next-gen finals, incidentally, has some new rules. <laughs> I mean, at what point are they going to run out of new rules to try out? But, I mean, the, the existing rules that they have already got – or have already used in the past are going to be there again. So first to four uh, game sets and best of five set matches, no ad scoring, free fan movement, uh, live electronic line calling, which it's interesting, isn't it? There's a couple of these that we just now take for granted. Mm -hmm, There is live electronic line calling everywhere. And two years ago when that was first tried, it was this, whoa, listen to that weird sound. Um, And where are all the people? Uh, the shot clock is going to be there. Yeah, I know. Shot co- clock's everywhere. And um, yet it was appearing for the first time at, that, at this event. Video review and towel racks. I mean, the idea of ball kids bringing over towels. I mean, that, yeah, that, I think the next-gen finals has really achieved its goal initially of trying out things that have ended up becoming relevant in competition. Mm. That that is that is something it set out to do back when Chris Commode was there and, and started this event. And I think that has shown to be a real success. Now, the new things that it's going to try out, let's see what you think of these and whether any of these you feel will end up as part of the fabric of the sport. They're going to try out in 2021 this week, shorter warm-ups. yes. Down from four minutes to one minute, less downtime, more action. Yeah. It should say less faff in Yeah, commas. that's what they mean. That's what they mean. Get rid- I mean, I would get rid of the warm-up altogether. And even more importantly than that, I'd get rid of the faff either side of the warm-up. I mean, on what match was it? I think it, oh, it was the semi, it was Medvedev against Zverev. They walked onto court, then they immediately sat down, faffed around for friggin' ever, Zverev fiddling around in his bag, uh, taking out a new racket wrapped in plastic. Get rid of that. Newly strung rackets do not need to be wrapped in plastic. Um, And then they went up and did the coin toss. Then they went up and did some faffing around after the coin toss. Then they did the four-minute warm-up. And then when time is called on the warm-up, then there's some more faffing around at the chairs. Medvedev had his head in a freezer, grabbing some towels. <laughs> no. No, none of that. <clears throat> match is called, you come onto court and you play your match. All that faffing needs to have been done beforehand. If you haven't got your ice-cold towels, sorry. No. If you, It is ridiculous, isn't it? The, the complacency of it from tennis really angers me that you've got people tuning in, you know, oh, I'll watch some tennis this afternoon. You tune in and they're watching 10 minutes of faffing around. That, that, that tennis thinks it can get away with that in, in this day and age and retain its audience. No. We need to, uh, we need to wise up as a sport. Note to the ATP and all the organisers of these new rules. 
put in brackets everything Catherine's just said, and then you know. Well, they like obviously rec- they obviously rec- the shorter warm ups thing is a, it's a, it's a recognition, isn't it that that something needs to change? Yeah, no, it is actually. It's a, that it is interesting. I wonder. I can imagine the brainstorm, isn't it? Go through all the the outrages of the last year about various subjects and. Okay, well, we'll try and do them differently in the next gen finals and see how that plays. Um, so the other ones are. Is, is co- anyone in the world going to say, "Oh, missed that warm up"? Missed that? Missed those other three minutes of that warm up? No. You needed that out your system, mm, didn't you? Yeah. Okay. Uh, achieved. Um, courtside coaching is going to be allowed. So that means coaching opened up from the sidelines. No more headsets, Catherine. I mean, I hope they're going to have these conversations mic'd up. Yeah, I, I can't remember whether I liked or didn't like headset coaching. Oh, we liked it, Catherine. Did we? Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved it. Yeah. I loved the It was of- translated, wasn't it? That was a very cr- – I mean, that's what I feel so- strongly about more than anything, that if the, the, the strongest reason to have on-court coaching of some description is for, is for fan engagement. And if you're going to have it, but have it not translate to, to fans, not, not audible or not understandable, uh, then that is shooting oneself weren't, in the foot. Weren't they required to speak English? Well, I don't think that's maybe, on either. That's just no. I mean, I thought, I, thought that, I did think that was a bit odd. But I mean, they're going to have to mic these chats up, and you are going to end up probably with the number of conversations that a large part of your audience doesn't understand. Um, Get them but anyway, translated. Mm, yeah, let's see. Uh, so that's uh, the second one. Or make the mime. <laughs> Just come up okay. with that and I love it. Right. Uh, <laughs> net cams. Don't really know what this means. Your front row seat right at the heart of the action. Yeah. I mean, we'll see, no I mean on means. paper, that... That does not move me at all. But let's see. That's not a rule it's a visual change, thing, is isn't it? it? So let's just yes. see. Okay. Uh, limited medical timeouts. One player, one per player per match. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I mean. I quite like that. I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's good. I think that that could end up becoming a thing in the future. Uh, and then the final one, mm, timed bathroom breaks, maximum three minutes, up to two for change of attire, plus up to two for change of attire. I guess that, that I mean, means it's, up to five it, minutes, is it? I, oh, I'm no. slightly more okay with this at a, at a men's event, but uh, it still mm. brings me a a bit of discomfort. The thought of having to, in a big match, do toileting with a with with a time clock, uh, clock fills t- me clock's fills, ticking, it fills says. me with immense anxiety. Um, mm. I would not be okay with that uh, in women's tennis, and I certainly would not be okay with anybody that hasn't changed a sweaty bra uh, legislating for that. Mm. Yes, quite right. Okay, well, we'll watch with interest over the next uh, week and see how that all unfolds. The uh, the WTA finals draw takes place tonight. Um, so we'll be back later on this week um, after the first set of round-robin matches to cover the draw and also talk about those first couple of days and see how things are going. Uh, singles lineup to remind you, is Irina Sabalenka, Karolina Pliskova, Iga Sviantek, uh, Barbara Krichikova, who's going to have to hot-foot it over from Prague to Guadalajara, that is one heck of a turnaround, isn't I think, it? I think that is too big an ask, to be honest. With with the unique conditions in Guadalajara, it sounds like the the altitude is going to be a massive factor. Mm. Um, there's just not enough time to adjust, let alone She's sort playing... of acclimatised jet lag-wise and everything. I think that's just simply too much. But... She's playing singles and doubles as well. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the Bonkers. price of success. Uh, Maria Sakkari, uh, Garbini Magarutha, Paula Badosa, uh, Annette Contivate. And no Onstraber who's decided not to go as an alternate. She said, I need more time to get ready for the new season, which, I mean, I must say, I, I do understand that view. If you've worked that hard to get there and your chances of actually playing are that slim, 
Um, if you are feeling a bit under the weather or whatever, I think there is an argument to just think, actually, you know what? I'll leave it. Mm. Um, it. It must be tough being an alter. You must feel like the ghost at the feast. Um, yeah. I'm not, I know they get paid for it, so not getting the violins out, but I don't think, I don't think I would be comfortable in that role personally. Mm. Although Greg Rosensky didn't mind, did he? He came in as a after one match and won a couple, and yeah. at the time of his life, yeah. he was turning you on Prime the other day. Uh, the doubles field is Krachikova and Katarina Siniakova, uh, and then Ioma, and then Io. Uh, how do I say uh, this, Catherine? I, I, Awayama. Awayama and Shibahara, uh, Shea and Mertens, uh, Melikar and Shur, Stosa and Zhang, and. Kravchik and Garachi Matheson, uh, Yurak and Klepats, and Fishman and Olmos. Actually, in the top eight were Katie McNally and Coco Goff, but they don't appear to be making the trip. Um, somebody said that uh, McNally had got some kind of injury, which uh, I must admit I didn't know about, and I thought she was in the field it, that she it played ha- last week. It happened in the, in the US Open. Oh. Uh, oh, no, it didn't. No, it didn't. That was their opponents. Hmm. Yeah. No, so didn't. I don't really know why. I had a McNally memory. I had a memory of them in tears on the court at the US Open. That was actually just because they lost the final, wasn't yes. it? Yes, <laughs> devastated. Oh, yeah, <laughs> they girls. were. Yeah, um, yeah. So there we are. Um, so yeah, loads and loads to look forward to. I mean, there's. I rarely feel this, Catherine, but there's almost too much tennis this week. You rarely feel that there's too much tennis. Well, you know, I mean. I do feel that, but yet I feel like I can somehow keep across it all. Mm. Looking at this lot, two tour events plus the next gens plus the WCA finals, with you getting ready for the ATP finals, I mean, that is almost an impossibility to keep across. I'm stressed about all the different formats and so on at play. You know, it stresses me out when a uh when a when a 1000 event is played over sort of 10 days and the men's and the women's are at different stages and you just it's all very yes. discombobulating you don't know where you are with it all um i'm anticipating feeling like that for the next week thanks tennis <laughs> okay uh so anyway we'll come back in a few days time um and uh, yeah, bring you another tennis podcast, talk about the WTA finals and how all, that, all that's going. And we'll have lots more shows over the next uh, couple of weeks. We'll be bringing you shows about the ATP finals and then the Davis Cup finals. Oh, it's all exciting, isn't it? Um, and Matt will be back. Uh, so some sort of uh, order will be that restored. That is exciting. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, Catherine, we'll go and have a have a bit of a nap because I think it's nap time, isn't it? It is. You You read. You read the room. <laughs> I read the room. Exactly. An hour of chat followed by a four-hour nap. That's the way we do things around here. Um, And Catherine's mascot is this week and every week, the lovely Zeus. Didn't I predict Djokovic to win Paris last week while we're on the subject of Zeus and I being a dream team? I really hope not. I think Um, I think I did. Well, you did cultivate the week before Mm, and she won that. I think we might be on a roll, Zeus. I mean, you were already top of the standing. So I suppose this is, you know, this is when you're all supposed to sign up to the newsletter and read all about this. Um, Anyway, the details of that newsletter, the link to sign up are in our show notes, and I can confirm Catherine Whittaker, Novak Djokovic to win Paris, was a prediction of last week. Very bold prediction from me to give the world number one. You got the grand sum of 25 points for that. Hey, when you were already in the lead... Yeah, I'd have got 260 if I'd have got Casper Ruud, right? But I didn't. Um, So Catherine has extended her lead over Daryl in the newsletter prediction. So do sign up uh, and do tell your friends about the tennis podcast if you want to pass on the word and get them listening. Um, Yeah, I've got Rogue. Matt's got Scousel Mousel. Billie Jean the dog, who is not present in Catherine Whitaker Tennis Podcast Towers at the moment. Um, is sponsored by the wonderful Billie Jean King. Uh, hopefully, Billie Jean the dog will be back soon. She's with Catherine's brother. Um, so we're, we're all a bit of at a loose end, aren't we? <laughs> Without Billie Jean the dog. Uh, Chris Albert Lee is our executive producer. Thank you all for listening. I uh, hope you've enjoyed it, and we'll be back with you again very soon. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.